And they came again to Jerusalem. And he was walking in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they asked him, By what authority do you do these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to him, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And he discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people, for they had held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. This morning as we look at this passage of scripture, we have a glimpse into the heart of mankind. We see here the fallenness and the brokenness and the, the, the pride that comes from the human experience in this fallen world. We live in a society today that has very little concern for truth. You know, there's such thing as a Christian apologetic. A Christian apologetic is somebody who defends the Christian faith. See, our faith isn't blind. We didn't have to take a blind leap to come to the fact that Jesus Christ has all authority. There are things, there are evidences in play, there are reasons for our faith. Solid, concrete reasons to say Jesus Christ is God. And so these apologetics, they, make, they, they, they spend their lives, their ministry is presenting those things to different universities, typically where the university are, are, are thinking that science somehow defeats Christianity. And so they set up shop and they hold these seminars trying to show that science does not defeat Christianity. In fact, science bolsters the claims. And so for many years, these Christian apologetics would book their, their, their seminars by having the headline. They'd, make, they'd have a professional uh, person make uh, flyers in that and send it out to the universities before they get there, and their headlines would be, Is Christianity True? And that used to be enough to pack the auditorium. Everybody was interested in whether or not Christianity was true. And over the last 10 years, they have found that if they put that as their headline, they end up showing up to an an empty auditorium. Because nobody cares. They want to know if Christianity is tolerant. They want to know if, if, if... Christianity has some sort of authority or rights. What rights do Christians have to tell others how to live? In fact, on Friday night I talked to a woman, and she said to me, who are you to say which religious book is the religious book? She didn't want to talk in terms of absolutes, but then the funny thing is she made an absolute statement. She said, all roads lead to God. 
an absolute statement. Just, there's no investigation, really, is Christianity true? Is Jesus true? There's just this holding on to our position in life and our posture and our love for our own authority in our lives, our own autonomy, our own right to be able to say and do and think what we think is right according to our own hearts. And this is not something that's new. This has been going on since the fall of man. Certainly the Old Testament is a testimony to that, and the scripture that we have this morning is a testimony to that. So we have Jesus and his disciples coming again to Jerusalem. So just to to remember, because it's been a couple weeks, this is the Passover, and they're staying in Bethany. So at night they return to Bethany and they sleep, and in the morning they get up and come back in to Jerusalem for the Passover. And as he was walking into the temple, of course, he's always coming into the temple. So as he's walking into the temple, so we're assuming that he's out in the temple courts, he's approached by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now that's a very uh, distinct group of people. All three of those would actually make up what was known as the the Sanhedrin. And And the Sanhedrin was of prime authority in this time. Now, this wasn't all of the Sanhedrin. These were delegates sent by the Sanhedrin in representation of the authority and the power of the time. And we have to remember that, that this group of people would have been in an honor and shame culture on the top of the food chain. These people would have been highly, highly respected. They would have been a very intimidating group of people. Very intimidating. And they knew how to intimidate. And so we can imagine that as Jesus is walking in, they came in with a presence and, 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 and under their own power and authority which they had in that land. And they came there to question Jesus Christ. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or... Who gave you the authority to do them? So there's two questions. You can answer one, but we want an answer. We are bringing our authority as the Sanhedrin, as the the ruler, as the top, onto you and demanding that you answer this. By what authority, what rights do you have to do these things? And so certainly they would have been referring to as these things, as the events that have just taken place with the cleansing of the temple, but uh, we don't have to stop there. Jesus has spent the last three and a half years doing some things that would have put him in a position to be questioned by the authority. Jesus, from the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, has assumed authority. And he has acted in authority. In fact, the very opening words of the Gospel of Mark has Mark telling us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The one with all authority. This Jesus Christ in the last three and a half years has proclaimed the forgiving of sins. He has forgiven sins of other people. Only God can do that. No man has that authority. And so they put that into question. 
He accepts sinners. This is a religious organization where sinners are the outcasts. You don't, you don't dine with them. You don't eat with them. You don't even touch them. For a Jew to come in contact with a Gentile, they'd have to go through a whole ceremonial washing. And yet here is this Jesus, this Jew dining with Gentiles and sinners and tax collectors. He calls them into fellowship. What right does he have to do that? What right does he have to, defi- to redefine and take lordship over the Sabbath? And this is exactly what he does. He lays an axe to the root of all tradition. He blows holes in their own man-made interpretation or misinterpretation of the Scripture under his own authority. When he preaches, it's under his own authority. Remember, the, the rabbis at the time when they taught, when they preached, they constantly were quoting other people, other rabbis, other men. It would be like me coming up here and only... Um, uh, repeating what the different commentaries had said about the scripture. There would be no, none of this under his own authority. Even as I preach, I don't preach under my own authority. I preach under the authority of the written word. But Christ did none of that because what he said is the written word. When he spoke, he spoke the word of God. Every single time he opened his mouth. And the Sanhedrin demands to know, what right do you have, what authority do you have to do that? Or, answer us this, who gave you such authority? What authority, what right do you have, and who gave you that right? And so they use their authority to question him. And then Jesus Christ pulls rank. He says, He says to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he asks them a question. He says to them, Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And then he commands again for the second time, Answer me. See, they came to him as an authority demanding an answer, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. You answer me. You're the created. I'm the creator. I don't answer to you. You answer to me. You may not understand my ways. You may not like my ways. You may not agree with my ways, but as it remains, I'm the creator. You're the created. You answer me. This reminds me of the book of Job. Remember the book of Job? Job goes through some trials, some difficulties, some hardships. And at the end of the book of Job, he questions God, he shakes his fist at God, and he demands God answer him. Remember what God said? God went on and on for two chapters. He starts in chapter 38. And then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this? That darkness counseled by words without knowledge, dressed for actions like a man. I will question you. And you make it known to me. You answer me. 
And then he goes on again for, for two chapters. I'll just give us a taste, but it's like this for two chapters. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? And what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And if you want a wonderful meditation in humility, read chapters 38 and 39 of Job. Because it just goes on and on, and, and with each word we get smaller and smaller and smaller. Sometimes we think that we're this, we're like the Sanhedrin, that we have all of this power, that we hold power over other people who are just as powerless over us, does not give us power. It gives us the, the delusion of power. It's when we stand in the presence of true power do we realize how frail we really are. How frail we really are. Verse uh, chapter 40 of Job, he wraps up by saying, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Shall the Sanhedrin tend with the Almighty, Jesus Christ? It says, He who argues with God, let him answer. And so here we have the Sanhedrin, they come and posing a question. Now listen, it is not wrong to have questions, to question God, to, to not understand things, to be confused and to go in a hard posture of, God, I don't understand this. Can you please show me and teach me this open-mindedness, this seeking of truth? We should all love and desire and, and yearn to know truth. And what better place to go to for truth than the source of all truth? And so the encouragement is to certainly go to God and question, ask questions and wonder. But that is not what the Sanhedrin were doing here. They're trying to trick them. They're trying to trap them. When they say, by what authority, there really can only be two answers here. He can say, by man's authority... But the problem with that is that the Sanhedrin were the only ones who could have given such authority, and they know that they didn't give it to him. What they were hoping he would say is that my authority comes from God, thus trapping him, because they would have considered that blasphemy. And so Jesus turns it around on them. He bolsters his own authority over them, by demanding that he answers them. And he asks them about John the Baptist. He says, was the Baptist of John from heaven or from man? And what he he means by heaven is God. The, The Jews didn't like to use the word God. They didn't want to call him by his name, and so they would often say heaven, and Jesus honors that and says heaven. What the real question, though, is, was the baptism of John from God or was it for men? You're asking if my authority is from God or from men. Let me ask you this. Is John the Baptist from God? Or is he from men? We, we can't miss what he's doing here. He is condemning them with that question. I mean, really, it could go the other way. Jesus is really providing an opportunity one last time 
for them to look back through the events of his ministry, starting with the baptism that he received from John. And to see it, and to put it together, and to find the truth in all of that, that they might come to repentance in this very moment, and see him for who he is. He provides them that opportunity in this question. John the Baptist, we remember what a scene that was when Jesus was baptized by John. When Jesus was baptized by John, it was then that the heavens opened. That the Spirit came down from the heavens on to Jesus Christ. And then a loud voice thunders, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Did that come from man? Or did it come from God? Even in today's modern technology, I don't know that we could pull something like that off. What a scene. What an incredible thing. And of course, the... John the Baptist's whole ministry, the reason why he existed, why God created him, was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. His sermons were this and nothing more. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then when the kingdom of God walked by one day, he stopped preaching and pointed, Behold, there he is. And the question is, did he have the authority of man to make that up? Or was that a blessing? Was that under the blessing of God? Did God give him that authority? Was that God? Was that truth? And certainly as we look at all the things that Jesus has done from that point to this, there is an opportunity for them to put it together. But they are so lost. They are so lost that the very question meant to save them, condemns them. The very question, meant to save them, condemns them. Listen to how they miss it. And they discussed it with one another. So if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? Isn't this the question to all those who are going to hell? That each time the gospel was presented, each miracle that had taken place in their lives, that God had spent their entire lifetime trying to reach them through circumstances and scenarios and messages through the radio and the television and friends and neighbors... Rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. Until the end of life. Gnashing at the teeth of the teeth. Wailing. How could this be? The question would be then, why, why didn't you just believe them? The 
hardness of heart. They didn't see this as an opportunity to come to faith, to come to repentance. They saw it as a trap. And then they said the other way, I mean, the other thing that we could say is, but shall we say from man? See, they didn't want to do that because the Jews, all of the Jews, much as all of the other people, believed that John the Baptist was a prophet. He wasn't a moral reformer. He wasn't a preacher. He was a prophet. It's a high calling. That's a, that is a prophet of God. That is what they believed in. So they feared, they feared man more than they feared God who stood right before them and asked them a question point blank. The fear of man will never get us anywhere. We must fear God, the one who has the authority to ask the questions. We don't answer to man, we answer to God. So instead of looking at this as an opportunity to find uh, a truth or false, they looked at it from a position of, is this safe or unsafe? And really what they wanted to do more than anything is protect their own authority. They didn't want to relinquish authority to Jesus Christ. They wanted to keep the authority. Isn't this the offense? Come on. Isn't this the offense of all of us who sit in here this morning as we invite somebody to come to with us to church? One of the things that runs through your mind is if I do that, they're going to tell me how to live. They're going to try to be authority in my life. And of course, we're not going to do that. We're going to show them the one who has authority. But even that has a sting to it. Because I want my own authority. Even Christians... Come on, if we're being serious, if we're being honest, how many Christians really are happy to call him Savior? Oh, he is my Savior. But what about King? Is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? So many of us have this such slow progress with spiritual growth and sanctification because we hold on so tight to our own rights and our own, our own privileges and our own wanting to be our own authority instead of surrendering our authoritative rights to the king. So we decide to claim ignorance. After much discussion, they answered Jesus, we do not know. What an awful thing to not know. Is there anything worse in this world, in this life, to not know who Jesus Christ is? What an awful, awful thing. What's the result of ignorance? It doesn't get us off the hook. We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Neither will I tell you 
who I am. You stand condemned. You stand condemned. Jesus is unwilling to reveal himself to them. It's by their own stubbornness they remain condemned. And so, I'll tell you, this did two things for me as I'm studying this passage this week. First of all, can we just get an amen how grateful we are that our hearts, what made me see and my neighbor not see? What, what pride can I take? And can I not relate to the stubbornness and the set ways and the hard-heartedness of the Sanhedrin in my own way, in my own life? Am I not capable of bolstering such stupid pride? And yet, here I am on a Sunday morning worshiping, loving, knowing the authority that is Jesus Christ. So what gratitude I have. And then when I turn to my fellow man, I feel overwhelmed. Even as I talk to that woman on Friday, there was nothing I could do, nothing in my power to change her mind. And as, we, as I thought that through even just this, this church in, in 2020. One, and moving forward in this postmodern era, how is a church supposed to grow in such an anti-truth, an anti-Christian community? I don't know. I know I'm supposed to. I'm the pastor. <laughs> I should have a PowerPoint up there with a three-plan action. But I don't. But I know the one who does. I know the one who does. And so this, this causes me to fall to my knees. Just like was done for me when I didn't see and I was still hard-hearted. And go to the one with all authority. And plead with him to go out to the community, to go out to our loved ones, to go out to our neighbors, and to soften hearts and prepare the way and use, use me supernaturally, all my, my pitiful, pitiful efforts. Somehow use that. Use that. This is what the New Testament says over and over and over. Let me close with reading some scripture here. First Timothy uh, chapter 2 says, First of all then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who have high, are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That it is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desire all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. That man is Christ Jesus. So the woman on Friday was wrong. There's only one. 
one road. But how do I get her to see that? I do what it's time to see her to go to God. This is part of why we are, we are saved and not risen up because we are called to be the priests. So what does a priest do? A priest, not, not, we're not talking Roman Catholicism, we're talking Bible. A, a, a priest is, is called to be uh, the representation of God to man. And so as I live my life, I live my life doing good deeds and loving acts and kind words and trying to be a preservation to a corroding society the best I can through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then I am to represent man to God. Let's not forget, that is also our calling, to work hard in our prayer closets, to bring these people into the throne room because they don't have access I do. You do. We have all the access to the throne room. So I bring them in prayer with me to the throne room of God. Romans 10, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. My heart's desire and my prayer to God is that they might be saved. Of course, that's written by Paul. And in Acts 26, pray to open their eyes, so they may turn from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God. They may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So before the um, Kingston Alliance Church can have any effectiveness on this community, we must storm the heavens, in prayer. Amen? Praying without ceasing. Prayer that's consistent. Prayer that's intentional. Prayer that isn't weak. Prayer that expects to receive. You pray that this church is effective. Expect God to work. Expect Him to save His loss. It is not His desire that any should perish. His sheep will not get away from him. So we call upon his power and his might and his strength. And we offer whatever we can to be a part of his mission and his goal to soften the hearts of men that they might be convicted by their sin and see the true nature of their condition and their standing before God and know their desperate need for a Savior. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your church. Thank you for coming. Thank you for for saving us. Thank you for allowing us to see, giving us the softened hearts. And God, as we began this morning service with praying for the lost, God, we continue. We continue to pray for the lost. We continue to pray for those who aren't just lost, but those who even stand in opposition. We look at Paul. I mean, here is Paul. He he wasn't neutral on this lot. This is a man who stood in opposition, who made his whole life about persecuting Jesus Christ as gospel and as church. And God came through and knocked him on his behind. 
and then picked him back up and set him forth as one of the greatest missionaries the church has ever known. Let's stand in awe of that and realize the power, his power to save, his might to save. And let's call upon that. Father, we're calling upon that. Do that in this community. Knock some people on their behinds. And give us the opportunity to reach them with the gospel, the truth. The truth is this. Hell is real. But God's love is greater. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.